Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew. I'm on ModernMilitaryHistory.com, Modern Military History YouTube channel, and at ModMilHist on Instagram. This is podcast number 13 of the MMH podcast. Today, we'll be speaking with a veteran of the Second World War, a veteran of the 35th Infantry Division, Mr. James Graff. He is a combat veteran of the Battle of the Bulge and the advance into Germany. Mr. Graff joined the 35th Infantry Division late in 1944, the very early beginning of 1945, uh, outside of Metz in France, and be, uh, became a member of the 134th Infantry Regiment. Mr. Graff has some incredible stories to say. He is uh, late in his 90s and a very amiable gentleman. I wanted to do this introduction to this podcast on my own because I wanted to just bring you guys up to speed on the fact that I tried to put together a Zoom call with Mr. Graff. He's currently in an assisted living nursing home, and um, I tried to coordinate with uh, the nursing home facility to see if they could help him with a Zoom interview. That, unfortunately, uh, did not come together. Um, thankfully, I just had a conversation with Mr. Graff over the phone. We had a phone call. So the audio quality of this interview is not typically up to the, the usual standards. I appreciate you folks. And without further ado, this is the interview with Mr. James Graff, 35th Infantry Division veteran, veteran of the Second World War. Here he is. And thank you, as always, for listening. Well, I'm ready. If you're uh, if you're still interested, I'd love to talk with you about your experiences in World War II, and uh, do an interview here, and uh, put that up on my website if that's okay with you. Okay. What do you want to know? Well, where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up middle down Illinois. And uh, what what kind of town was Middleton? There's about 500 coal miners. No, there's, uh, that was about all I had to do outside of farm work. There was a coal mine, and the population is run between 500 and 1,000. My dad was mayor for... For many years. What year were you and born? He carried, a gun, he carried a gun practically every day. What year were you born? 25. That's 1925. 1925. And uh, did you go to high school? I went to high school and... One year of college before I went in the Army. Did you play any sports in high school? I played some basketball, but but then we moved to the country and we had cows and milk and things. Uh, and uh, uh, we had egg, got egg in middle of high school, and I got interested in that. I didn't play only for 
two years sports. I, I'm not very, I'm about five and a half foot tall. Gotcha. What, uh, what year were you in school when Pearl Harbor happened? Well, when Pearl Harbor happened, I, that was in 1941. I was probably about a freshman because I was about uh, 35 when I got out. Do you remember? My birthday is August. Do you remember Pearl Harbor? Why, sure I do. Hell, I had a cousin there. Arnold Tabusic from Decatur. What was your cousin doing? Huh? What was your cousin doing in Pearl Harbor? He was in the uh, Air Force. Mm. In the ground crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'd volunteered, uh, he'd been in the, the military a year or so, he went in about the time of the war, uh, before the war broke out, before Pearl Harbor. He was in the, the military when the they have Japs bomb Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. When did you join the Army? I joined the Army when I got out of high school. What year? 1944. I was in basic training when uh, they invaded the continent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I joined the Army shortly after Christmas of 1945. And I fought through, I, I had uh, four months, uh, four, I got three battle stars. Gotcha. Where did you go to basic training? Camp Hood, Texas. What was that like? That was tough down there. It was hot. And, uh, but the good thing about it, we had, I learned all the weapons. Later on, we got replacements that didn't know how to get a clip in an M1. Now, how much help was he going to be? Do you remember anything, uh, like what kind of stuff did you do in basic training? What what kind of specific stuff did you do in basic training well, that you remember? we used... We got to fire uh, all small arms. I don't think we had pistol training, but we did uh, a rifle and BAR, and uh, we uh, didn't have a machine gun, uh, a burp gun deal. But we, see each 
battalion of the infantry has got three rifle companies and a weapons company. ABC, ABC are rifle companies and D is a rifle, is a weapons platoon. Gotcha. And, uh, he was always heavy weapons, heavy machine guns. Uh, they were 30 caliber, but they were water cooled. The, the machine guns the rifle companies had were all air cooled. Mm -hmm. Did you have a favorite weapon? I was a BAR man practically all the time. That's a Browning automatic rifle. I had a 20 round clip. Gotcha. Did you qualify with the BAR in basic training, or did they give you the BAR yeah, we later? Fired, we fired the basic. Uh, we fired light machine guns and the BARs and M1s in basic training. The submachine gun that Dick Tracy used, you never seen one of them in the ETO. They, they, I think they carried some in the jungles in the Pacific, but we never, we used M1s, carbines, and Browning automatic rifles and 30 caliber light and heavy machine guns and a 60 and 80 millimeter uh, hand-loaded uh, hand uh, mortars. Mortars. Gotcha. How long? Each rifle, each rifle platoon, uh, come, I mean battalion, mm -hmm. and each and the rifle uh, divisions was three r rifle companies and one heavy weapon. Like I was in first battalion, one, three, four, ABC. Were all rifle companies and D was the heavy weapons. Mm -hmm. And they had the heavy machine guns and the, the 81 millimeter mortars. When were you assigned to the 35th Infantry in the 134th Regiment? When, were you, when did you meet up with the division? I met up with them in England. Well, no, I... I uh, we landed in England and went across into France and joined them in France. Was this, uh, when was this that you joined them in France? Uh, well, uh, the, the replacements come in, they generally bring them up at night. And they put them in the companies, and uh, in the morning they'd be 
bite him into a platoon or something. It, listen. Yep. None of this was easy. And in, in camp in Europe, we had probably a dozen or so men in the company that couldn't read or write. Now, what the hell are you going to do with guys like that? They know how to get a tip of the M1, but they don't know how to write to their girlfriend. <laughs> Did you guys teach them how to read and write? Oh, hell, we I wrote letters for a lot of guys. I'd write, Dear John, or sign it. No. But, no, hell, we had guys out of Tennessee and Arkansas and Alabama and places, and, hey, the big cities, mm -hmm. there were more and more people that couldn't write their own name hardly. Wow. Don't, don't believe they was all hell, well, they wasn't. There were hell of a lot of them was Italian and German. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't write their own name in English. Gotcha. Gotcha. They want you to think that Roosevelt was the second coming of Christ. Son of a bitch, guys, has got a chance to shot him. Yeah. Were you? And I'm not prejudiced because I'm a Republican. No worries. Uh, did you get drafted or did you uh, join? I signed up to be taken. In uh, uh, like the. And the war started, and, uh, and uh, see, when the war started in 1939, I was still in high, grade school. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I finished high school before I had to go to the Army. Did you pay and, Did you pay attention to the war when you were growing uh, up, like in the news and everything? Did I what? Did you uh, Did you pay attention to the war um, when you were in grade school and going uh, through high school? Yeah, I didn't pay attention to that. Gotcha. My uh, one of my dad's uncles had been in the World War One in the nineties. Division. He'd been drafted and went to the 90th. It's uh, and it it's from Texas. And uh, I was in the 35th, and it was from Nebraska, in Missouri, Missouri, Nebraska, and maybe Iowa. I don't know, but. I 
was in the, the Nebraska regiment, and the town my company come from was uh, now I'm thinking of so many things I forgot. Um, it's all right. But uh, it was in the in the south central part of Nebraska. It was about the size of Lincoln, Illinois, about 12,000 people. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Beatrice. Beatrice. Okay. Beatrice, Nebraska. So what did you think of France when you uh, first got there and joined with the division? Were you nervous? Were you anxious? What do you remember? I anything about them and I couldn't speak the language. I knew a little German. My mother folks had been born in Germany and I knew a little German but uh, I couldn't understand them and uh, the frogs were mostly uh, people uh, after somebody with money or uh, something to give them. Gotcha. That's we did think a hell of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And they surrendered to the German shit. They threw the guns down and surrendered with the cops come across the border. Mm-hmm. We never got no goddamn help from them. Right. What did you think of the 35th Infantry when you joined them in uh, France? What did you think of the, the division when you reached it? Well, in my company, the only original men were in the kitchen. The uh, men that doing the fighting was like me. They'd been replacements. If you're there long enough, something happens to everybody. Don't put your money on this shit about uh, long blasting and everything. If you're in long blasting in the infantry, you're not in the rifle platoon. You're in uh, heavy weapons or Headquarters. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, no, people don't realize that, but the rifle platoons, something's going to happen to everybody if it's nothing more than frozen feet. Dangerous duty. Yep. Don't let them shit you about this, that, or the other if they. They, if they were in a headquarters company, they didn't see very goddamn little action. Did you uh, did you join your platoon right away? Yeah, I I I tell you, I was fortunate this way. I had had basic training. I'd have 
14 weeks of basic training. A lot of those guys that had six weeks been put in the truck company. Then see, they broke the truck company up and put them in the rifle companies, and they didn't know how to get a clip in the M1 because some of them had taken basic with an O3 Springfield. Oh, boy. And the people at home, hell, they don't know that shit. And uh, you tell them that, and they believe they believe what the scene that John Wayne done in the movies, and he wasn't even in the military. Right, right. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious about. Um, I'd love to hear about your BAR. Uh, to, when did you? When were you issued the BAR? Well, sure. I mean. There was about, oh, I don't know, two or three de- dozen of us that joined seat company. And uh, I think Berger, every one of them was in the hospital. I had uh, an eye injury, and I was in the 105th evacuation hospital, centered in Holland for about a week. Be back in the line. I was a BAR man, big part of the time. Part of the time, I was the platoon runner. Mm. We had some guys that couldn't read or write. There was probably more now then than there is now because uh, they. Could, after the war, they insisted on the people having a, uh, a great school so they could go to school. Mm-hmm. Now, when people, them civilians, they don't give a shit about the military unless they got somebody in it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm, I'm uh, right now, I'm president of the 35th Division Association. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't blame any of them, but I just, when a fellow gets talking, I ask him what outfit he was in. And that tells you how much combat stuff he'd seen. If he's in a truck company, he hasn't been in combat, with a few exceptions. He drove a truck. That was his job. Gotcha. I was, I was an infantryman. I trained with an M1, and I took the BAR much because people didn't like to carry it because it weighed 18 pounds and then it was only about eight. Right. And uh, my best friends were fellows like Robert Landrum from Honeywell, Missouri. He'd been a mailman 
combat huh when did you see your first combat uh, oh uh, I it was right after Christmas I think I don't uh, 44 mm-hmm. I I most of uh, I was mostly in combat in 45. Sure. I joined the uh, 35th Division. I think it was late January of 45. I fought about four months with them. Mm-hmm. I got, uh, had uh, an eye injury and, and, uh, I spent about a week in the, the 105th Evacuation Hospital Center in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent me back to the company. They we always they always uh, if they possible they always sent wounded back to the same company they were in. That was a good practice. Mm-hmm. That way. Uh, guy that didn't get fucked up on what uh, the people he'd been used to being with. So I'm really curious about what it was like the first time you were in combat, the first time you fought the Germans. Um, Are you able to tell me about that, that first time that you know you were hearing shots fired in anger and and you're you're in combat. What happened? Well, it was up in Belgium, and I tell you, mm. probably at the time we didn't know what the hell town we were in. Sure. And the people couldn't talk to us. And we couldn't talk to the people, and uh, people think that Germans was something out of the world. Those crowds were just like you and me. They'd been drafted into the army, trained, and fought for Germany. That's the way with us. We drafted into the U.S. Army, sent the basic training trade, and went to fight the Germans and didn't know what the hell a German looked like. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, people see these goddamn pictures and they think uh, it's all fun. It's a dirty son of a bitch job. And uh, 
shot at, and you don't know how it feels. And maybe your best friend got killed. You got a leg, stepped on a mine, and got a leg blown off. You can't glorize the goddamn combat. Nobody. Uh, picture shows and that stuff don't mount a rat's ass when it comes to the real thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's uh, that's why I really think it's important to talk with folks such as yourself, because um, a lot of people who have never been there, who have never done that, claim that they know or claim to think that they know what it's like. I've I've never been in combat, so I I can't say I know what it's like, but I I really think it's important to talk with folks such as yourself, who do know and are able to tell people their story. So I I just want you to know, sir, that that's one of the reasons I really appreciate you just just uh, spending time with me here. This is this is really important stuff. I just really appreciate your time. Well, uh, I I had a high school education and a semester of college before I went in, so I was pretty well read. But we had fellows from Arkansas and West Virginia and places. They didn't know really what was going on because... A lot of them, and people don't believe this shit. A lot of these guys couldn't read or write. I wrote letters for different guys, and one guy told me, I said, what do you want me to tell your wife? And he said, I don't care, just put in plenty of honeys and darlings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, honey's and darling. That was all he was interested in. So, but you, you'd put that in the movies, they'd think they, who in the hell wrote that? I have a question for you. When you guys were fighting in Belgium, um, was this in the Battle of the Bulge? Yeah, I was in the, uh, around uh, Bastogne and, and uh, a little town uh, called Zimrick. Zimrick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we fought and uh, we had, uh, I think, uh, 31 men in our company or Round that number killed in the Belgium. And uh, uh, probably two dozen or three dozen guys with frostbite. They, uh, frostbite knocked you out just as well as a mullet. How did the frostbite start to take people out where was it their feet uh no well the snow it was pretty deep in 
places, just like here in Illinois. Some get a lot, some don't get any. Did you guys have good winter clothing? Uh, it, it was warm. The trouble is, you can't do a hell of a lot if you got a lot of clothes on. The, the overcoat was fine when you was uh, shacked up in some crowd house or Belgian house, but it wasn't worth a damn to fight in because it was get uh, snow all over it and that freeze and that make it heavy and uh, you, you, you never went into... We never went in combat with the overcoat on. What we always went in with a field jacket. What kind of equipment would you wear in combat? What kind of what? Like, uh, what, what was your harness, your web gear, what kind of equipment, your ammunition, what kind of stuff did you have to carry in combat? Now, uh, I... Uh, I, when I was a BAR man, I carried 12 uh, magazines, which were about four pounds apiece. And uh, I had a canteen. They had a little alcohol in it. And... Uh, uh, if you was a rifleman, you had a BAR, I mean a bayonet, and I carried the BAR most of the time, and it weighed thirty pounds. Gotcha. Did you pa did you wear a pack? Did you have a backpack? Uh, I had on a pair of long underwear, a pair of short underwear, and a pair of long underwear, a pair of fatigues, and a pair of wool knees over them, and uh, either a field jacket or an overcoat. Gotcha. Low cool food, uh, stuff to keep you warm. Gotcha. And we tried to, when we dig in at night, they try to get you up some blankets, and you roll the blankets in four blanket rolls so a man could carry them. But we always tried to fight into a town at night. Didn't stay in the town all night. Did you guys fight with tanks? Oh yeah, we was the. Uh, 35th was uh, in uh, armor with 6th armored and the 4th armored. They supported us older than our What kind of tanks were they? Uh, just Sherman. Did you guys ride on the tanks? Well, we did if we could, but uh, it's, uh, uh, 
The only time you ride tanks is if you're moving. And I tell you, you don't want to be riding a goddamn tank with somebody shooting at you. Right. I mean, they show that shit in the movies, but they never was in combat. I know guys that were in combat six months and never fired around. I'll believe that if you want to. Oh, I believe it. I believe everything you say. There, there, we had we had guys that didn't know how to hardly get the clip in an M1. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, uh, some bastard in Washington, he thought he was smart, and uh, he told that shit, and people thought he was lying to him. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. Did you ever, uh, did you ever take a town with the tanks, the Shermans uh, from the Fourth or the Sixth Armored Division, and what was it like to fight with the tanks? You didn't want to be riding tanks when you're attacking because the crowd just shoots you off the goddamn things. Mm-hmm. You, you uh, the rival companies went in on foot and the armor supported them. Gotcha. So you guys would call the tanks to, to shoot a specific house or a strong point and you'd, and you'd just have them support you guys. Trouble is, the tanks were generally a armored division, mm-hmm. and they didn't take orders from the 35th. Mm. So there, there was a little problem. But uh, we liked them if they was up there because uh, we could ride on them. That, me waiting around in the snow. Sure. Because, see, we have four buckle overshoes. Mm-hmm. It's like you wear it uh, if it snows at home. Mm-hmm. And I had on a pair of long underwear, a pair of short underwear, a pair of fatigues, and a pair of wool ODs. And an overcoat. But I didn't wear the overcoat in the daytime. Tried to see where I could move a little bit. And I was very fortunate. I'd been in Camp Hood and took infantry basic. And many of them guys have been in cannon companies and or quartermaster. And, and maybe had a bare training, and a lot of them with an old tree Springfield, and they was issued in a thirty caliber M1, bold action. Mm-hmm. So you could see, I know fellows that went 
four or five months in combat, never fired a round. Because they never was in the position to uh, shoot a crowd. Sure. I have a I have another question for you. When did you um, see your first German soldier? Camp Hood, Texas. They were prisoners. They shipped over here. Well, I had basic training. They had all kinds of crowds at Camp Hood. Gotcha. They looked just like you and me. Two legs and a and when you were in combat in Belgium, um, yep. when was the when did you uh, see the first German that wasn't a prisoner? Well, I guess the first day I was up there. Gotcha. I joined up outside of. Uh, they was in the woods in Belgium. Gotcha. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. What and, happened uh, there? I I had had a little extra basic training because my mother had a cancer operation and I had an emergency furlough home and they sent me back with the basic. Might have saved my life. How so? Because when I got back up to the company they'd been in uh, trading, and uh, because I'd missed so much basic, they sent me back in my basic, and I took some of it over, and uh, they they wanted everybody to have uh, 13 weeks of infantry basic. It's combat and stuff a hell of a lot different than the movies. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, kill a man on the movies and expect it to look like a guy laying in the snow and the blood running out. And we didn't see so many of them because we were busy shooting and going on. Mm-hmm. That was the medic's job was to pick up the wounded and the dead. They left them until the thing was over with. And uh, they moved along through and then they policed the Germans and the American dead. It's it ain't nothing like though they portrayed it in the movies. Would you be able to um, give an example of combat in the Ardennes in in the in the Battle of the Bulge, so that people uh, people today can kind of um, try to understand what it might have been like. Well, probably the first thing you got to remember, there's 
very few men take power in the actual combat. There's a lot of guys after the first round fired, you don't see them until night. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know fellows that's been in combat for several months and never fired around in anger. It's no bang up, shoot them up deal. If you get in one of them, it's rare. The crowd, same as like everybody else. Hell, they, they didn't want to get killed either. Sure. That's the way with Americans. After the first shot was fired, you maybe didn't see half of them until night. Sure. But uh, as a BAR man, um, you had to you had to fight though, right? I had a uh, automatic rifle that had a twenty round clip. Right, and you had to uh, you had to be a, a fire support for the rifleman. I tell you one thing with me. Uh huh. I was a. 19-year-old kid, and uh, I had uh, seen a few movies and stuff, and I tell you, I was fortunate this way. I had had 23 weeks of basic training because I had a emergency furlough when my mother had cancer operation. And I got to go home, and I had to take six weeks of the basic over. Mm-hmm. They had saved my life. Right. Right. And uh, uh, it, it's no bang-up shooter job. I know guys been in combat six months and never fired around. Right. You mentioned... Um... You mentioned that you got wounded in the eye. How did that happen? No, it was a concussion from a hand grenade. Crowd threw a, we was in a, a building and a crowd threw a grenade in there and I got concussion from a hand grenade. Where was, uh, do you remember where that was? Oh, it was Right after we first got into Germany. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, I got to remember, I was uh, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was fortunate. I'd been in Camp Hood and took infantry basic. We had a lot of guys in the trade with an O3 Springfield and didn't know how to get a clip in the M1. They set them on the line. Wow. They were used to low-action Springfield. Uh, these goddamn guys in Washington running the thing, they knew about as much as shit. Gotcha. And uh, it was like Roosevelt. Hell, he was crippled. He 
couldn't been in the military if he didn't want it to. Gotcha. When did you? And, uh, oh, sorry. We we didn't. Uh, we didn't. I tell you. Yep. If you wasn't in combat, we didn't uh, listen to you at all. Gotcha. So you guys were really tight knit. The guys in your platoon, you guys, um, you were really tight knit because you'd been through combat together. Yeah. Uh, I still, Rick Storm, he was the squad leader. And uh, I know him yet where he lives. And he'd lived in Southern Illinois, and I lived in Central Illinois. He lived in, uh, oh, hell, I forget the name of the town he was in. But he was down... Uh, about halfway to Cairo from Springfield. I uh, I was thirty miles north of Springfield. But I I tell you, I felt pretty good this way. I had had actually twenty three weeks of basic training because I. It was about six weeks in my training, and my mother had a cancer operation, and I got a furlough home. When I come back, they put me back about six weeks in my basic, and I had to take it over. I always thought that saved my life. Because the fellows that I did with, they, they was in combat six weeks before I got there. Do you remember a time where you were in combat and you had a very close call that you almost got killed? Well, I had a man or two killed right in front of me. If he hadn't have been there, it had been me. And... You, you never know. I mean, it's it's like you shoot at a guy. Maybe you hit him and maybe he dropped down and played dead. He was at a distance. And when you got up there, hell, he was gone. Uh, it, it's a hell of a lot different than the movies. How did you, and, how did you deal with the... The stress. How did you deal with the fear of not of never knowing if you were going to get hit or not from one minute to the next? How did you get through that? Well, you. Some guys never get through it, and I was very fortunate. I was. One of the youngest ones there, and uh, I, I, I had delivered papers and had responsible jobs in civilian life. Sure. And uh, I think that helped me. And uh, my dad, he had 
been in the military in World War One. He was too young. And, uh, but Pop, he always taught me to, uh, you got a job, do it. And, uh, I delivered newspapers in Middle Town. That's a little town, uh, close here where we're at. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, I didn't, uh, delivered papers and I was used to dealing with people. Hell, I had fellows that couldn't rewrite in those days. And don't let anybody kid you. We had fellows in the Army that couldn't read or write. Sure. And, uh, sure. There uh, are guys that come to me and they'd say, Graf, help me with this here. I can't, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. In mm. that. But, oh, hell, the goddamn government. Roosevelt and them, he was a crippled son of a bitch. And he, he didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground about it. Yeah. In that, um, so when you were. So, so having jobs and civilian life, um, having a dad who had been in World War One, and being able to to see to the job at hand, if if I'm hearing you correctly, that helped you with the stress of of combat. Two of my best friends in combat are Rex Storm and. Robert Ladner, and they were as different as day and night. Really? How so? Storm was a, he done a little screwing around on his old lady. I don't think Ladner ever did. Yeah, he had a shitty job in civilian life. I don't think Lander did. He farmed and uh, carried mail. And uh, you, you have good friends and if we had a few guys, I wouldn't have given them a kiss my ass for So your friends helped you in combat? Yeah. Did they save your life? I won't say they saved my life, but they uh, probably uh, killed a guy or two that might have killed me. Did you save their life at any point? Oh, I don't know. I was a VAR man. I I, uh, wasn't proud of the people I killed. But, uh, and I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. You don't know ones that you killed. You could shoot in the building and uh, everybody shooting in the building. And uh, you get up there and there's a half a dozen dead crowds in the building. Well, who shot them? Sure. I, I don't know whether my, because they was all one bullets and 
Yeah. We wouldn't have given a dead man any uh, physical examination. Sure. 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 I know guys that spent six months up there and never fired a rifle. People don't believe that, but that's the truth. I believe you. I believe you. So I have another question for you. When did okay. you guys when did you guys cross from Belgium into Germany? Huh? Well, when you're fighting in the bulge, fighting in the Ardennes, you said you got wounded by a hand grenade, a concussion by a hand grenade right after you crossed into Germany. What was that battle like? I I I don't remember this way. Uh huh. I fired a shot the BAR. It was generally in support of the some guys going ahead. Uh huh. That's the way with the machine gun. Sure. Uh, we uh, use them in defense, and they weren't much count in combat because you had to have the gun and uh, one man carried the receiver, another man carried the tripod, and uh, three or four guys with ammunition, and. Uh, you 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 can't move six men at one time, hardly. Sure, sure. But the BAR only takes one man. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, uh, thirteen magazines. Sure. And the only time that I ever shot all of them at once was on a patrol. What was that? What happened there? That sounds like a pretty serious firefight. Well, uh, just, uh, that was after the hard dibs and we were on a patrol in uh, Germany and uh, come under some fire and I uh, decided to cover the rest of them and fired uh, all the magazines but one. That's the only time it ever happened. Gotcha. So, and uh, this man would up shoot him down. Hell, I know guys that have been in combat six months and never fired around. So going back, um, when you were wounded by the grenade in Germany, you said you were firing support with the BAR, and you guys were in some buildings. Well, see, the Germans had a different. They had some hand grenades, but they most of their grenades was explosive on a stick. Gotcha. And uh, the crowd, they carried those in their boots or in their belt. And uh, everybody. 
in the American Army or, or infantry, was when they went in combat, they had six grenades. But I'd say half of them threw them away because they didn't want the, the thing to go off. How many people were killed by one of their own grenades, I don't know. Did you carry grenades? Yeah, I carried, uh, I think I carried about six. But I, I was fortunate too that I'd had basic training. You gotta remember the hell of a lot of these fellas only had six weeks basic. Yeah. Drivers and them, and they cannibalized those outfits and put those guys in the rifle company, and a hell of a lot of them barely knew how to get a clipping in them once. Gotcha. Gotcha. And people, people don't realize that. And I'll tell you. There's a certain amount of guys after the first shot fired, you don't see them till light. Gotcha. And, uh, Rex Storm, he was a combat man. And John Semenik was my assistant, and I don't think he fired a shot either. Gotcha. So... There you are. But they don't show that in the movies. And uh, they show all the bang up stuff and that. They mount the rat's ass. I bet you we had men that never fired around in combat. Did you ever see um, German tanks? Did you ever see German tanks? Did you ever have to fight them? Well, I see them. They come right up to the building. We were in and fired in at Oh, my God. And, uh, Krauss, they had a good uh, armored outfit, and, uh, those, those Germans, they, they're smart hell. They can operate them. I give them credit a lot, and, uh, uh, uh the thing that... About as it with me, I feel fortunate that the Lord protected me, and I went into combat and fought about six months. Although the last couple was just kind of we didn't fire much or do much fighting; we were just kind of going through the country. Yeah, uh, but the biggest part, I fought the biggest part of the uh, winter campaign, the Ardennes, and uh, I had about six weeks up there, and I, uh, every time I get in a deep, tight spot here in civilian life, I think... It was worse than the Ardennes. And uh, 
people, they see the goddamn many movies and stuff like that, and hardly any of their movies are accurate. Sure. They I got um, guys shooting guns and throwing hand grenades and shit. I bet you we had some men that never fired around an anchor. Sure. And after the first shot was fired, you never see them till night. Sure. I uh, I'm curious. When the German tanks came up and fired into the building that you were in, yeah. did you guys take casualties at that time? Uh-huh. Did you guys suffer any casualties from the German tanks shooting into your building? We scared to death. We uh, was interested in getting uh, somewhere where the shell wouldn't hit us. And uh, somebody might have tried to knock them out with the bazooka, but... Hell of a lot of us maybe just disappeared into the building somewhere. Or run out of the building to another one. It's, it's, it's not a made up thing like the movies. How did you, uh, how did you get away from the tanks? Hide in the building. They couldn't run over to the building. Uh, and uh, the crowd, I tell you, those crowds had been fighting for years. And they'd survived. And they knew ways that they, they didn't do anything more than get killed than you and I. And uh, you see these picture shows, you see guys that blowing them down, that's horseshit. You never, they never were in bunches like that at all. And, uh, it's a hell of a lot different than what the picture shows and stuff portrayed it. So when the German tanks came in, did the American tanks have to push them back out? Do you remember what happened? Well, uh, the, the Shermans, they weren't armored as heavy as those German tanks. And they, they had 75 millimeters and the Germans had 88s on theirs. So they were out class day one. Gotcha. The Sherman wasn't no wasn't uh, uh, on a same classes at that crowd take. Gotcha. You gotta remember these here. A lot of those Germans have been fighting for years. 
And they knew something or they wouldn't have been alive. And the Americans, made be, some guys have been there six months and some guys uh, two hours. Gotcha. Where was the uh, where was the heaviest battle? Where was the heaviest fighting that you uh, participated in? Well, it was in the Ardennes, because the hell was once we crossed the Royal River, it was fight and run. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, shot at us and we ran into them and over. What is uh? What's one thing that people don't understand about fighting in the Ardennes? Well, I tell you. Uh huh. Everybody spent a lot of time trying to keep warm. Sure. And not fight. But you, you couldn't tell of that after seeing some of these movies and stuff. And, the guys that uh, put them on probably never uh, fired a gun in anger. Sure. But they, we've got had Americans, and I, I knew several guys. They never fired a shot. When the first shot was fired, they looked for a place to hide and stayed in the out of combat. Uh, actual combat until the shooting was over with they came out then to eat supper. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it, uh, I know guys in combat and never fired around. I mean, he was in rifle companies and never fired around. So, did you shoot him up, bang him up thing that you see in the movie or somebody shooting after you're going to take cover? When was a time that, um, when was a time that you, you thought you were, you were going to die? When was a time that you were really scared and you thought you were going to die? My dad was the mayor of Middletown, and he carried a gun a lot. And I tried to, uh, I had a little extra training because I had an emergency furlough. My mother had an operation. And they forced me to take some of the basic over. And that might have saved my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't have to go overseas quite as fast as I would have if she had had that operation. But the combat, people think it's a shoot-em-up deal. And I know fellas that never fired around. And uh, 
some people were afraid. Some of them didn't want to clean their rifle. Sure. That was, yeah. Sure. I mean, people don't believe that, but that's, that's true. I have another question for you. When you got across the Ruhr, you said after you crossed the Ruhr uh, River, it was uh, not as much combat. Um, can you tell me what it was like to advance into Germany and what that was like, that phase of the war, after the Ardennes? What was that like? Well, my mother spoke German, and uh, I was around. We had people around Middletown that could uh, speak better German than they could English. And I never, I never, they never excited me. What I mean is, uh, those crowds, they was wanting to live the same as I was. And, uh, and I was only 19 years old by then. And, uh. I, I didn't know much, and uh, I'd taken, I'd had a little extra basic training, and uh, may have saved my life, and uh, I, I see these pictures, shows, and I think... I wish to hell it had been like that. And uh, combat is something you can't describe or it's something you don't see regularly. I mean, you get up go to the bathroom and you eat three meals a day uh, uh, almost your whole life. Sure, sure. And, but people, when these people were talking about combat, I always say that son of a bitch has never been there. And, uh, uh, it ain't nothing like you think it is. And uh, there's no getting around it, and it ain't going to change. Gotcha. When did the when did the war end for you? Um, when did the war end for you? On the 5th of May. When, uh, in the spring of 45 or, or 46, I don't know, whatever, the last, uh, they, we uh, was in occupation a little while, but they sent the 35th back to the States, and we were going to be in, on the invasion of Japan. We never had to do that. And uh, 
I spent some time in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, in the regular army, and then I got a discharge and uh, went back to Illinois and went to college. Then I got married. What did you go to college for? Or what, what, uh, what degree did you get in college? What did you study? Agriculture. And, uh, well, I didn't uh, study agriculture at Lincoln College because they didn't have ag. As a, but I transferred from Lincoln College to the University of Illinois and went there a year and took ag. And um, in civilian life, after the war, after you got your degree, what did you do? Come back to Middle Island, went to uh, farming. What kind of farming did uh, you do? What what did you farm? Well, my dad uh, inherited some land, and uh, he moved to... Uh, he didn't like the way they were run that middle out, so he moved to the country. And uh, my mother and him and I, we moved to the country. And uh, I uh, got to helping farmers and, and stuff. And uh, there was a guy by the name of Joe Wright that lived next to us. And uh, I went to work for him, and I got acquainted with him and his son-in-law, Charlie Sonnet. He'd come up here out of Kentucky as a hired man and married to the guy who was born's daughter. And Sonnet was a, he'd been in the First World War, but he'd been no combat either. And uh, I, uh, I'm just off and on uh, farming, carpenter. We worked for uh, LWS, so he'd been in the Navy in the First World War. I and the neighbor boy, Lawrence Dorgan, uh, we worked for Wade Esso Carpenter along with farming. Um, I want to ask you, uh, I want to ask you a question and, um, I want to explain why I'm going to ask this question. I, I do a lot of work with guys, um, with veterans. We record their story and, um, something I always ask gentlemen such as yourself, um, guys who have seen combat and, and came back from combat, you know, and, and lived as civilians, a lot of veterans commit suicide today. A lot of the Iraq, Afghanistan war veterans get really depressed. They commit suicide. Um, 22, 22, 2-2 um, veterans commit suicide. Um, and I think that's horrible, and I really want to help that. So what I do is I always ask people like you, 
who have been to combat, I always ask them what they would say to a young man who came back from Iraq, who came back from Afghanistan, who saw combat, and is having trouble becoming a civilian again. What, what would you say to somebody who's having trouble, who is a veteran today? Well, I think it's a state of mind. Part of it, I think, is from seeing war movies. I think they got to act like uh, Clark Gable or somebody like that. Sure. And uh, I, I work with fellows that could barely read and write. And I was in the army with some guys that could barely read and write. And uh, I I carpentered and farmed. And my, my dad, he said, oh hell, I wouldn't pay attention to so and so, he don't know that. Well, some of these guys that didn't know it, they knew a lot. And Pop, he had, he never, he wasn't in the First World War, he wasn't old enough. And he was, of course, too old for the second. And we never talked combat or anything between each other because he wouldn't know what I was talking about. And you never know what anything is about until you experience it. And you can talk all, the cadrumen can tell you all of this stories and all that stuff, but until you experience it, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. If I may ask, um, if I may ask you, did the war stay with you? Did you remember the war? Did did you have dreams about it? Did you ever have any trouble or problems after the war remembering the combat? No, I learned. I learned is like. Some guys, we go to sleep in a foxhole. Some guys never went to sleep, and some guys went to sleep as soon as they got in it. So that's the way I was. I I had seen a little bit of everything, and I never paid attention to somebody unless I thought he knew more than I did. And if I, 90% of the people you talk to don't know as much as you do. And uh, I come back from overseas and had a furlough. Then I went back uh, in never because my time wasn't up. I uh, was in the Kentucky and the Army, regular Army. We uh, 
rode uh, cars and uh, trucks up to Chicago and had a big parade down Michigan Avenue and we'd already paraded it in Paris and uh, maybe it was because I was just 16 I was about eight. I was eighteen years old or so when I got out, and uh, I've thought a lot about it. I've been real active in the thirty-fifth division. Now I'm president of the association, and uh, but I never paid any attention to somebody that didn't know more than I did. I think that's, a, I think that's good advice for a, a yeah. young guy who, because I've met guys who they come out of the Army and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to, who to listen to and what to do. It sounds like you came out... Um, you got into farming, you got your degree, you got on with your life. I think that's yeah. really good advice because uh, I really want to help veterans today. And and hearing from somebody who fought in the Battle of the Bulge, saw some, some serious combat, had, had German tanks shoot into the building he was in, and hearing somebody who've done those things come out the other side and carry on with their life and live to an old age. I think that's an important story to hear. Well, I think so, too. And, uh, uh, you can pretty much tell by a guy that's been there and a guy that they, some of them, uh, if he knows everything, he ain't been there. So stay humble. You got to stay humble, it sounds like. Yeah, and uh, uh, guys that fit in a lot of combat, they don't talk about it. And it's like me. I never talked about it unless I was talking to school kids or something like that and really thought one of the impressive. You, you have a, a 30, a 20-year-old man or 25-year-old man as a hell of a job trying to impersonate, I mean, impress somebody that's 50 or 60 years old. I, um, I'm, I'm 26. I'm 26 years old, and I love the fact that you're spending time telling me and telling the people who listen to my veteran interviews about your experience because we have so much to learn from you and and we have so much so many questions because we don't know what world war 2 was like and world war 2 veterans won't be around forever so it's oh i know <laughs> so i i so appreciate you spending time with us telling me about your story and 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 i really appreciate you um 
taking your time to answer my questions. I asked you a lot about about the war because we'll just we we can't be there because it's it's in the past. So the only way we can try to understand and we can't fully understand it, we'll never be able to fully understand it. But the closest we can get is is hearing real people such as yourself tell us your thoughts, your experiences. So my hat is off to you, sir, and I I so appreciate you. I just want you to know that that this is this is so wonderful. I really appreciate you, sir. Well, I try I try to tell them like it was, and uh, uh, like I say, somebody said, "How'd you get along with the German?" Gotcha. And it's, uh, I tell you, this war ain't uh, um, like portrayed in movies. There's a hell of a lot of time spent doing things that you think just don't mount to a rat's ass. And I... I can listen. I can listen to a fella for ten minutes and tell whether he didn't come back or not. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate talking to you. Yes, sir. And uh, I'm gonna be going back to Middle Town here as soon as possible. Gotcha. And uh, talk to you later, buddy. You take care, Mr. Graff. I hope you have a great day. And again, thank you so much for your time. You rock. I so appreciate you. And, and thank you for, for what you did for our country in the Second World War. Thank you for what you did afterwards. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, sir. Take care. This has been Podcast 13 of the Modern Military History YouTube channel, Modern Military History Podcast on Spotify, across the internet, um, any way you can get podcasts, I'm sure you can find the MMH Podcast. We've done other interviews with other veterans. We're going to be doing more interviews with more veterans. As I told uh, Mr. Graff um, in the interview, it's talking to real folks who have been there, who have done that, who uh, can give us a little bit of an understanding of the true nature of, of war and the history of conflict. Modern military history is all about making the history of conflict accessible to people so that we can better understand the true nature of war. It is I, Andrew, with ModernMilitaryHistory.com, ModMilHist on Instagram. And uh, don't forget, check out the second channel, Modern Military Gaming. It has uh, the Beer Cast, which is an informal podcast where I drink a beer, talk about the day's events in history, and talk about whatever I want to, um, loosely based around military history. It's the informal channel, Modern Military Gaming. 
Um, thank you, as always. I can't uh, tell you how much it means that you folks are joining me on this journey. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. If you have any questions, please send it to uh, themodernmilitaryhistory at gmail.com or leave a comment in one of my YouTube videos. Um, you can send me an Instagram message. Whatever you want to do, I would love to do uh, Ask Me Anything segment of the beer cast. And uh, for that, we need people to ask me things. So please feel free to reach out. This has been Andrew, ModernMilitaryHistory.com, Modern Military History on YouTube, Modern Military Gaming on YouTube, at ModMilHist on Instagram. Thank you so much, everybody. You take care. Have a great uh, beginning of June. Today is June 5th. As I record this, tomorrow is D-Day. So in remembrance and uh, absolute gratitude for what men like Mr. James Graff did for us and uh, getting his story out here. It's also a partnership between uh, me and you. It won't happen without you listening. So thank you for listening. Take care, everybody. You have a great one. Bye-bye.